Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. When Trainspotting was released, it quickly became one of the most iconic British books and films of the 1990s, thanks to its stark but often darkly comic depiction of the lives of heroin addicts in Edinburgh. Choose your future. Choose life. The cult hit shone a spotlight on drug addiction and death in Scotland, but in the decades that followed, the problem has just grown and grown. I take my methadone in the morning, take five Valium in these, and then crack cocaine. Are you addicted? Yeah. That's about 80 a day. 80 Valiums a day? Yeah, I've had 80 a day already. Six friends have died in the space of three weeks. And now Scotland has the highest rate of drug-related deaths in Europe by a huge margin. The rate is three times higher than any other country in Europe, and successive governments have struggled to control the crisis. This is everybody's problem. It's been failed drug policies for years and years, so everybody needs to take responsibility for this. So they're changing tack. Earlier this year, the SNP's Drugs Policy Minister announced her support for a radical change. One of the proposals the Scottish Drugs Policy Minister is making to the UK government, the decriminalisation of drugs for personal supply. The drug laws as they stand at the moment are punitive, they discriminate against people who use drugs, and they criminalise them. And last week, the first drug consumption room was approved in Glasgow, where users will be able to take drugs without fear of arrest, which campaigners say will reduce the number of deaths. The idea of a safer drug consumption room is people bring their own drugs that they've purchased from wherever, um, they'll bring them along to a safe environment. It's got like healthcare staff like this. Many have looked to Portugal for inspiration, where decriminalisation of drug use was introduced over 20 years ago. But has it worked? 
Today, we'll hear from the man who was the architect of that policy. It was almost impossible to find a Portuguese family that had no problems related to drugs. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why Scotland has Europe's worst drugs-related death rate and why Portugal might have the answers. My name is John Boothman. I work for both The Times and The Sunday Times. I've been a journalist now for now on, what, 40 years, mainly covering stories in Scotland and in particular political stories and current affairs stories as well. And John, in 40 years of covering stories in Scotland, how many do you think you've spent covering stories about drug deaths? I think the whole phenomenon of drugs deaths in Scotland and the explosion in drugs deaths in Scotland goes back at least to the 1990s and really exploded, you know, really more than a decade ago. We had in the 1990s a heroin issue in Scotland. It became the drug of choice, particularly in poorer working class communities. Mm. Um, It was something that came on top of what I think are pretty well recognised major public health issues in Scotland. Scotland is not the healthiest country in the world. And then with the whole issue of drugs, you could fill the national stadium, Hamden Park, with the number of serious problem drug users in Scotland. There's something like 60,000. And perhaps it's a criticism of the Scottish government that actually we don't have a proper estimate. That estimate of nearly 60,000 is a 2016 figure. I suppose my question has always been, if you don't know how many serious problem drug users there are in the country, how can you work out a proper programme for dealing with it? And John, I mean, just culturally, how did drugs become such a big problem in Scotland? I mean, for most people, I guess it was in the 1990s with Irvin Welsh's book, and the Danny Boyle film Train Spotting that you know people sort of realized there was this whole subculture in Scotland which was entirely revolving around the use of hard drugs how did that become a cultural phenomenon and and what effect did the film have Look, I mean, I, I certainly remember reading Train Spotting and being particularly shocked about it because although this is a huge problem, it's not a problem that everybody in the population sees. So I think people were probably, in fact, a bit embarrassed by it at first. I think now we've got a different problem. It's bigger than it was then. It's not localised in the way that it was then. And hence the, the measures that people are trying to take in order to try and combat it. Just tell us, when we talk about the extraordinary number of drug deaths in Scotland, what is it exactly that we're we're talking about? I mean, who is dying and what is it that they're dying of? Is it Are they dying of an overdose? Are they dying of complications from drugs? A lot of the people in recent years who have died is really a hangover, if that's the right word to use, from the period that we are talking about, who really have caused themselves a lot of damage in that early period in the 1990s and early 2000s. This is the train spotting generation. 
Yeah. So there's that generation of people. On the other hand, you know, what you do have is a whole number of people who, for example, make up that great number of people in places like Dundee and Glasgow, uh, where there are really, really serious problems that add up, for example, in Glasgow to 400 or 500 people on the streets publicly injecting drugs. The difficulty that pertains in Scotland, it's the poly use of drugs. So heroin was something that was cheaper than other drugs. That's been replaced to a certain degree in modern times by those small blue Valium-like pills that people use. I've got 30 for £10. 30 for £10? Yep. 30 pence a pill. What are you guys taking? Valium and crack cocaine. And the methadone. Yeah. There's so many addicts are dying. Yeah, I'm worried about well, dying. I'm really you know worried about dying. I'm worried about it, but... It's not enough to make you stop. People mix small blue tablets these days that you could buy for 30p that are illegally manufactured. Street Valiums, a drug that was involved in almost two-thirds of Scotland's overdose deaths. The street diazepam market is almost like a Russian roulette. So if you bought something one week, next week if you buy the same looking tablets, the concentration might be different and the drug itself may have changed. They add to that some strong, cheap alcohol. They might take other prescription drugs as well. And it's that polydrug use that actually has contributed to the great number of drugs deaths that we have in the country. And John, just talk us through the numbers in terms of this spike in drug deaths. How high has it been over the last couple of decades? In Scotland, we've got three or four times the number of drugs deaths compared to England and Wales. I mean, basically, the numbers took off a bit to up over a 1,000 in about 2014, which happened to coincide with uh, the time that Nicola Sturgeon became First Minister. For each of the first seven years under Nicola Sturgeon, those numbers rose. There was a study carried out earlier this year by Glasgow Caledonian University. It found that drug-related death rates among people who were dependent on opioids more than trebled between 2011 and 2020. Last year, when she was still in charge, the numbers dipped slightly, but still over a 1,000. That problem, I think, has been exacerbated over the years by the fact that, in particular, around about 2015, uh, critics of the government say that a lot of money was withdrawn from local alcohol and drugs partnerships, who were the organisations who locally dealt with the frontline services that were the interface with serious problem drug users. Certainly some campaigners would argue that there's not enough rehab beds in the country, there's not enough treatment centres, that that whole issue of not being able to get people to come to the services and much fewer people being under treatment in Scotland compared to elsewhere is something that seems to have been a difficulty that's swollen the numbers. So, John, Scotland does seem to be in a real crisis here. You know, it's got the worst death rate in Europe for drug-related deaths. As you said, it's interesting there seems to be a correlation between Nicola Sturgeon coming into power and, and these drug deaths really sort of kicking off. Just set out for us the 
different sides in the political debate around the drug crisis in Scotland. I think it's fair to say that uh, there is more of a consensus that the whole issue is something that should be treated as a public health issue rather than a criminal justice issue. The SNP, the Labour Party, the Green Party and the Liberal Democrats would all be much more in favour of that public health approach. And most of the people in the Conservative Party think there should be a much stronger emphasis on criminal justice. So Mm. the one big development in recent times is that the uh, new SNP Drugs Policy Minister, uh, Elena Whittam, has said that Scotland should go down the decriminalisation of drugs route. So today is a clarion call from myself to the UK government to work with me on this. But if they're not going to work with me to do this, I think they have to devolve those powers to the Scottish government so that we can absolutely take a fully rooted public health response to this emergency. But that's something that Westminster, I think the Conservatives will certainly continue to resist. Uh, Mr Speaker, drug consumption rooms are not the easy solution honourable members may think. There is no safe way to take illegal drugs. However, if the Scottish Government and the Lord Advocate decide to proceed with a pilot on drugs consumption rooms, the UK Government will not intervene. The big issue, of course, here is that there are powers over this whole area in the Scottish Parliament, but the one power that they don't have is power over the Misuse of Drugs Act, uh, which means that they can't reclassify drugs. So last week, after years of political wrangling between Holyrood and Westminster, finally, the country's first drugs consumption room was approved. Just tell us, what exactly is it? There have been demands over many years for a drugs consumption room, and this is only a pilot that's about to take place in Glasgow. What actually happens there is that people come along, they bring their own drugs and they take those drugs under supervision. It's often said uh, that the evidence from the 100 or so facilities, drug consumption rooms that exist around the world, that very few people, if any at all, actually die in drugs consumption rooms because if there's an issue, the people there are being supervised by medical professionals. Yeah, There is a concern that it will normalise drug use. The only reason that this drugs consumption pilot is going ahead is because the Lord Advocate is the top law officer in Scotland, the head of the prosecution and service in Scotland, therefore can change the rules in relation to prosecution, but also has a more political hat because she sits also in the Scottish government's cabinet. She is producing guidance that will relax the rules about who can be charged for being in possession of drugs. That is that those people who want to go to the drugs consumption room if they are stopped by the police and carrying their own drugs, will not be charged. Now, that's really interesting, because there you sort of immediately have a clash between Scotland and Westminster. Everybody is governed by the same law on the misuse of drugs, which classifies them, but you're now having a very different set of behaviours about how you police that in Scotland. It does sort of feel like it's edging towards a position of decriminalisation. Do they think that will help the crisis? 
I think politicians are at a stage where they think that all the old answers haven't worked. The difficulty that a lot of politicians have is that during a time where there's cuts to other NHS services, they might feel it quite difficult to justify spending on this, even though people are dying as a result of it. Decriminalisation has been tried in other parts of the world. We know Portugal decriminalised in 2001. Oregon has recently decriminalised Class A drugs. How have those experiments gone? Yeah, it's certainly the case that Portugal is one country that people quote a lot. One of the things that's interesting about this debate is that it's certainly the case in recent times that some criticism has emerged from the places themselves about how effective these measures can actually be. Coming up, we talk to one of the pioneers of the world's most radical drugs policy, decriminalisation. And two decades on, we'll look at whether it's worked in Portugal. That's in just a moment. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listen to this ACAST show ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is João Golão. I am a, a medical doctor, a family doctor, and I'm the national coordinator for drugs and drug addiction and the harmful use of alcohol here in Portugal. And you were also the architect, really, of this whole policy of decriminalisation, which now the rest of the world sort of looks to Portugal for how it's played out. You know, when you came up with that idea... What was the situation like in Portugal? The drugs problems in Portugal exploded after our democratic revolution in 74. Prior to that, we had a very closed and controlled uh, society uh, with a, a very tough regime. And in fact, drugs were not an issue at that time. And yet, ironically, with the coming of democracy comes the problem of drug taking. Yes, there was a sudden openness of our society. At the same time, we were dealing with a colonial war in our ancient colonies, Angola, Mozambique, and so on. And almost our young male population was sent there to serve as soldiers. And short time after the revolution, uh, those soldiers and settlers came back to, to mainland. And during their stay in the colonies, the access to drugs was tolerated to keep people happy with that war. Mm. So most of them developed some habits of using those substances. And when they came back home, they brought 
tones, literally the tones of cannabis, they made available for their friends and families for free as a gift. And shortly after, some criminal organizations introduced heroin, cocaine, LSD, you name it, in a completely naive society towards drugs. And so by 2000, how bad had the problem got? We were facing a true epidemic on heroin use. We reached incredible numbers of problematic users, around 100,000 people using heroin. We are roughly 10 million inhabitants, so that means 1% of our population was uh, using heroin. By the mid-90s, we used to have around 350 overdose deaths a year. Mm. It was not something that happened among poor or minorities, ethnic or others, but it was attaining all the social groups, medium class, upper classes, political class. It was almost impossible to find a Portuguese family that had no problems related to drugs. How do you think it compares to the current situation in Scotland where we know that drug use certainly started off amongst certain more deprived communities? As far as I know, the the problems you are facing nowadays in Scotland are similar to ours. It's perhaps a window of opportunity to have people mobilised in reflecting about how to address those drug problems in a humane and uh, uh, pragmatic way. That's what happened with us. As everybody was attained by, by drugs problems, everybody, every family, I think it was a kind of a bottom-up movement, uh, the way to address drugs problems as a health and social issue rather than a criminal one. So a big cultural shift. You're not looking at yes. just the law in terms of trying to take on drug use. You're looking at it as a health problem. When you had this window of opportunity 20 years ago to change the situation, just talk us through what exactly that meant. Well, uh, prior to, to that law, drug use and possession for use were punished under the criminal law. With this law, we changed only one article saying that drug use and possession of uh, small amounts of, of substances is punished as a misdemeanor. Probably the most important thing is that you do not get a criminal record. And this had huge implications in stigma. It was assumed, in fact, that the best way to address those problems is uh, to offer treatment to all those in need of, of it. Hmm. and to provide harm reduction policies. Wow. So if you're caught in possession of drugs, you're not arrested, you don't get a criminal record. Instead, you're directed towards addiction programmes, health programmes that will help you to deal with your addiction. And what if you're caught with more drugs? You know, what if you're dealing in drugs? Is that still criminal? Yes. So it's not total decriminalisation? No, no, no. And how did that go down? When this policy was introduced, what sort of difference did you see it making across Portugal? Well, it's fair to say that decriminalization by itself does not lead to any uh, improvement. 
It's part of a package of policies. In my view, the most important thing is having treatment easily available, of good quality, free of charge, and this is key. And it's been 20 years now that these policies have been in place. How successful have they been? For instance, in the 90s, the average number of overdoses deaths was around 350 a year. The last figures that we have relate to 2021, and we had 74 overdoses deaths. Wow. We want to lower those figures uh, yet. In the last few years, we are watching some increase and we are struggling to reinforce our capacity to offer all the treatment, arm reduction responses, and we are lacking of human resources nowadays to have all the responses that we need. That's so interesting. So there was a, a distinct fall at first, but in the last few years, the, the drug deaths have been edging back up again. There are some people who would now say that this policy hasn't been as successful as people had hoped. Where do you think the problems have arisen for it? On one side, we have been dealing with the difficulties arising exactly from the pandemic and now from this crisis that has a huge impact in the social conditions on on housing, employment and so on. Yeah, cost of living on, crisis. On the other side, our political responsibles were convinced that drug and drug-related problems were solved and they did not need to invest or to maintain the investment that they had done in the, in the beginning. For instance, one of the most powerful treatment centers that we have here in Lisbon, in the beginning had 130 uh, staff members. Nowadays it has 30. So should the lesson be that the policies that you introduced were a raft of policies? It was decriminalisation of usage, but it was also the addiction services. And the moment the investment in, in addiction services goes down, the problems start coming back up again. So if countries are trying to work out what to do, should they be decriminalising or should they be investing more in those services? Both things should be done. Decriminalising is positive, in my view, in any circumstances. But the effects are much bigger if you can offer treatment and arm reduction and also in prevention and the reintegration of people with previous problems of, of drug use. There has been some criticism in Portugal that decriminalization has actually led to more addiction. You know, fewer people are dying of addiction, but more people are becoming addicted because it's not a taboo anymore. It's okay for people to try drugs. It's not a criminal activity. Not nowadays. I don't believe it's an effect of that. As I said, I attribute the difficulties that we are having now to uh, freezing on the investment and on the impact that uh, several crises that we are facing, we have been facing. But I believe the system is, is still working. But has it normalized the use of Class A drugs in Portugal? No, uh, and it's important to stress that using drugs in Portugal is still prohibited. It's not a crime, but it's still prohibited, and it's punished under the administrative law. There's a clear sign of disapproval 
of drug use, but you do not get a criminal record that stigmatizes you for the rest of your days, and you do not end up in prison. The debate now does seem to have people in, in Portugal even talking about the prospect of recriminalizing drugs. Is that something you think might happen? We have, as elsewhere, we have some populistic parties that are vocal in saying so, but I do not believe that we are at risk of going back. And you know, looking at the situation in Scotland at the moment, when you introduced your policies, you were up against drug death rates of about just over 300 deaths a year. Scotland's, for a population which is half the size of Portugal's, is much, much higher. They are now going to be introducing these drug safe rooms. It's a lighter form of decriminalising it. These people won't face any criminal sanctions. But at the same time, there isn't the added services that you came up with, all of the extra money and addiction services. Do you think they've chosen the right policy? I think safe uh, sites to use drugs are a good move, but uh, it has to be considered only as a tool, as a part of a broader policy. We asked the Scottish government about the issues raised in this podcast and the Minister for Drugs Policy, Elena Whittam, said, We are taking action now to save and improve lives with an evidence-based approach to drugs deaths, implementing policies that we know work and focusing on getting people into support and treatment. We are investing a total of £250 million in our national mission on drugs over the course of this parliament and have already supported 300 grassroots projects. We'll continue to expand and improve access to residential rehabilitation. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, political correspondent for The Times and The Sunday Times, John Boothman, and Portugal's National Coordinator for Drugs and Drug Addiction and the Harmful Use of Alcohol, Dr. João Goulau. You can find more of John's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producers were James Shield and Kate Ford, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Listen to this ACAST show ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.